of energy, excitement, and urgency responding to the call of the Lord that he's given us as a church family. Not just because Mike's going to get up here and talk about one of the most famous verses in the Bible, but because we've taken this to heart and said, this is our marching orders, let's go get it done. But on a much less important note, would the owner of HM903 please go move their car? Apparently you are blocking someone. (laughs) So if you are the driver of HM903, would you please kindly uh, adjust your car a little bit? The guard will help you out there uh, for that. But no one's moving, so it must be upstairs. No problem for us. For someone else, maybe a problem. Well, last week we dove in to what compelled Paul. Um, some kind of went with the trendy language that today Paul was purpose-driven, and he was. He was all about the glory of God and the compelling call upon his life to take the word of God, the incarnated son, Jesus, to specifically the Gentiles, not at the expense of the Jews, but because God had called him to the Gentile people, like many of you and I. It wasn't one or the other. Paul's passion that every Hebrew descendant person would come to know Jesus was huge. So was his prayer that every soul would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so he went literally to the ends of the earth to do that. His compelled call upon his life was his sole purpose for living. And not only that, but it was urgent Every moment of every day, as we saw last week, he was about the vision that God had given him to make Jesus Christ known among the nations. So much so that unlike at least me and likely most of you, when he got arrested and sat in prison, he looked around and said, look at this, I got a church. They just need to know they're the church. And he introduced them to Jesus Christ and his Lord and Savior Jesus was known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. And that's an amazing thing when you start to think about it. In other words, wherever Paul went, he introduced people to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the center of everything of Paul's universe. And that's a good way to live. But some of us can think about the life of Paul and place him rightly on this pedestal that's saying, well, that was Paul. And I am not Paul. Well, I get that. And I agree. We are not necessarily the Apostle Paul. But God has continued to use obedient men and women for his glory ever since. We think of Elizabeth Elliot, who sent her husband down to the... I can't remember the name of the tribe in in southern South America. And they were killed very quickly and very early on. And she and other wives, Nate Saint's wife, they went down and they had an effective ministry there. She risked her life for the call of making Jesus known. We think of Brother Yoon. Many of you have read one of my favorite missionary tales and that the heavenly man about the life of Brother Yoon and how every time he's in prison, he seeks to help others and he seeks to let Jesus be known. And he's been in prison a lot of times. And yet, and he's still alive today. And I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who at the height of the Great World War, 
the second one, not only would make Jesus known, but went from great success, and we'll talk more about him in a bit, great academic arrogance or possibility for academic arrogance and gave it all up to start an illegal church to again proclaim Jesus' name wherever he could and eventually it took his life. But even in his last days, knowing that he was about to die, what did other prisoners say about him? That he would constantly be giving his food and his resources, whatever little he had left, to help others live and know Jesus Christ. These are men and women not so different than you and I that just when the call came upon their life, they said, I would rather have Jesus than comfort. And we think, wow, that's really great for them. (laughs) Yes? But what if it was that same call and we responded to it for us, wherever God led us? And that's what we're going to look at today. Would you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1? I know, this is the seventh message in the Philippians series, and we're still in chapter 1. Yeah, and we've got a few more weeks to go before we get out of chapter 1. But it's important. We're not going to comprehensively look at everything in these few verses, starting in verse 18b, and we'll go through verse 26. But you can follow along as I read these to you. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Read this one with me, because it's that important. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I, am to go, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, to which I say amen. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. When we think about that, sorry, I missed a slide there at the end. But look at that last bit before we jump into the beginning. Again, he says that you may glory in Christ. It's about the glory of God in all we do and in all we say. When we send off Lavina, we're not just excited because it it increases our numbers of missionaries overseas. We're excited because we have access to proclaim the glory of God in a place that many have not yet heard. When we pray over the GID teams as they head in to where God leads them, we pray over them that their lives would tell the story of God and how he is working in teenagers' lives. And I love how God has continually used that ministry. When we think of Linda Reeves in Cambodia, we pray that God would use her mightily as she invests in little children and equipping godly Christian teachers to help not just kids know Jesus but have a chance at life as they invest in their educational needs. We follow where God has led. And that can't always be the easiest thing we face. I want you to 
think about a picture that many of you have seen not so long ago. I know it's pretty washed out today and I apologize for that. But this scene was spread everywhere. This is the scene of 21 Coptic Christians, Egyptians, that were beheaded shortly after this picture was taken from what we're told. Yet here's the reality. I mourn with their families that their loved ones are not here, but those professing Christians are not suffering anymore. And this is at the heart of what we need to understand. As horrible a tragedy as this is, I pray that their lives will not be in vain. That as we look at the scriptures and we look at the world we find ourselves in, we would be compelled to say, people need to know who Jesus is. So this stops. But while there is still sin, while we are still in this age of the already not yet kingdom, Christ has come, but his return has not yet happened. There will be suffering. There will be trials and there will be tribulations, and there will be persecution. Jesus will be attacked. And we, as known followers of his, those baptized into the faith by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, will face difficult times. My question is, are we ready? Are we so compelled by the call of God on our lives that if that was us, we would think about the great Saint Stephen, if you remember his story in Acts, that when his time came, he preached it. He said, there's nothing greater than knowing Jesus. When Paul faced the end of his life, he said, there's nothing greater for me than to live knowing Christ and die gaining fellowship with him for all eternity. Later on, he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. The thing is, we are invited today as followers of Jesus to be known as his. God has given us all sorts of opportunities and all sorts of resources to live in this world. And this isn't a criticism against what God has given us, whether it be material possessions, praise the Lord, use them for his glory. Whether it be food on the table, not everyone has that but enjoy the food he's given us. Or much more, what we do with those things matters as to who we are in Christ. Paul, facing the end of his life, awaiting an audience with Caesar, relied upon and expected certain things in his life. And you see these right away in verse 19. First, he expected the church to pray. Look at what he says. He said, for I know that through your prayers, in other words, I know you're praying for me. I know that right now while I am in prison, the church in Philippi is praying for me. When Lavina goes through difficult times, when she faces winter in a place that's not quite as warm as Hong Kong, (laughs) when she faces trials and tribulations that we don't know yet will come, She can stand firm knowing that her church family is praying for her. And we know that the prayers of the righteous ones are effective. James taught us that, right? We will pray for Lavina and we will pray for one another. Because I look around this room and I know there are struggles of many kinds. I don't have time, but if I could walk through, I could tell you some. And your heart would break and you would feel overwhelmed by the need. But that's why God is God. 
Because we bring it all to him knowing that prayer works and it is useful. But not only that, but as we seek to make Jesus Christ known among all nations, we need help, right? I can't do it on my own. I can talk a lot. But when it comes to sharing my faith, sometimes I get... Right? And I'm not the only one, am I? But when I am relying on the Holy Spirit, I sit back and I think, wow, God just said that? I didn't even know that. And he works. But here's the thing. 50 plus years ago, A.W. Tozer, a great Christian and missionary alliance theologian, had all sorts of things to say about the church. And one of the most stinging things he had to say was the church has forgotten that the Holy Spirit is part of the triune God. That we don't rely on him. We don't seek him for help. We don't expect him to show up and move in miraculous ways. Why are there no more miracles today? God isn't not working. That's a double negative and I apologize for that. But he is still at work. We just lack the faith to rely on him. He's like, here I am. And we hear stories from all over the world that God is still at work. Think about a guy named George Mueller. Anybody remember his story? He's, he's kind of like Lavina, actually, when you think about it. He invested in kids' lives. He didn't know how God would provide, but he kept following where God led. And in the case of Mueller, it was in the UK. And in the case of Mueller, he would set up these homes where he would bring in orphaned and, and needy children and he would feed them and give them a bed and give them an education. And in so doing, he never publicly went out and said, I need money. Instead, he got on his knees and he prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. And he trusted the Holy Spirit to provide on his behalf. And you know what? God did it time and time and time again. There are instances that are too numerous to account for of how God provided because God's people prayed and trusted in him. I look in this room and as a not quite as young as I used to be, but still pretty young guy, it's intimidating. We've got doctors, we've got PhD doctors and and, uh, medical doctors. I'm Again, that's why I'm intimidated. We've got masters of everything from acoustic design to engineering to education. We've got teachers of the highest level. We've got the hardest workers I've ever met. We've got amazing servants of God. And I stand up here and I think, wow, how could I be in part of such a family? But then I think about what if we all together said, God, Use our skills and our abilities to further your kingdom work. And I think the 200 people in this room would be amazed at what he would do. I don't think that. I know that to be true. Because I, like Paul, expect and trust through the help of the Holy Spirit that all of this will work out for my deliverance. Because this earth I live on is not my finished state, nor is it yours. If you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we eagerly anticipate his return so that we can enjoy paradise at the foot of Jesus, enjoying his presence forever as he created us to be. But while we are here, 
we are called to a life that's far greater than many of us have been willing to live. A life that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit to help us be the people God created us to be. You hear me talk a lot about Jesus' little saying. He said that I, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And you hear me say that that basically means that Jesus Christ said he wanted God's people to have big lives, full of obedience to the will of God because there is no better way to live. And most of you, I get it, when I've got you right here, I've got a captive audience. You're all going to know that that's the right answer. That yes, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one to the Father, no way to the Father except through him, the Son. And I agree. But then come tomorrow, as we go back to work, as Chinese New Year holidays are over, we get back into the routine. Our kids give us headaches. Our employers give us acid reflux, among other things. And all of these things happen we stop relying on the Lord and we left Jesus at church on Sunday and we left our reliance on the Holy Spirit on these nice new red carpets because that's where he belongs, right? In a room. No. The thing about this message is that we are invited to follow the example of Paul, to trust that we are praying for one another, that we are relying on the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can boldly say this. Now, if you're looking at your sermon notes, you're seeing a grammatical mathematical equation and you've got the first two bits and you've heard me talk about this before, but it doesn't quite stack up if if you look at the math of it. But here it goes. You've got Jesus. We talk, we just sang about Jesus, take my life and let it be holy, pleasing Lord to thee. Right? Yeah, we just talked about that. But see, Paul here says, for me to live is Christ, right? To live is Christ. To live is Jesus. And to die is gain. In other words, while I'm here, I am all for Jesus. Like if, if there's all of this, and I've got all the peripheral vision, and Jesus is in the middle... I'm only thinking straight through. Only right toward him in every decision, big or small. Do I really need McDonald's today? Is that using my body as a temple of God? Probably not. Or should I at least invite others with me and enjoy the fellowship together? Maybe. But in every decision is Jesus Christ central. But see what happens is this is what we do. In our Christianese math, we add to the gospel. We say that we've got to do this and that, and it's, it's okay because God understands if we put him over on a mantelpiece over here while we go off to work because people might be offended if we talk about Jesus. Well, you know what? You're right. People may be offended if you talk to them about Jesus, but you know who's really going to be offended? them when they get to the judgment day and realize that you didn't love them enough to tell them about Jesus and now they're spending an eternity in hell. I would rather them be offended now. That's just me. I would hope it's you as well. But then we add other things. 
God, I don't have time for a relationship with you like Brother Yoon had or like George Mueller or Elizabeth Elliot or Lavina Lee or Doyle and Dory Carlbaum or whomever we think of because, you know, they're just amazing and absolutely they are. But God, that's not me. Well, you're right. He's created you to something more. Something amazing with the situation he's given you. Quit trying to be Brother Yoon, the Apostle Paul, or all those other names. Be who God has made you to be by relying upon his Holy Spirit to transform you in the renewing of your mind so that wherever you go, you carry the name of Jesus with you. That's what we're invited to. We're not saying Jesus plus all this other stuff that I'm going to add on top of him and make a big pile and pull him out when I need him. No, you know what Jesus needs? Nothing. Jesus doesn't need anything. He is sufficient. He is all you and I need. Do I believe that? I do. And I believe it not just because God's word tells me so, which it does. But time and again in my own life, I have seen God provide in miraculous ways. I have seen God provide for my family in ways that defy expectation. Just recently, uh, many of you know my sister has gone through some struggles over the past five years, and those struggles continue in some ways. But she has been faithful to do her best with the job that God has given her, and she has worked so hard that the employer saw that and said, you know what, I'm adding to your hours, you've done a great job, and we want to help. And that's an answer to prayer. That has provided stability into my sister's life and into those three children's lives. And we thank God for how he's provided. And it's miraculous because earlier she was told that probably wouldn't happen. But now, she didn't add to the equation. She just went where God had led her to, even in the most dark circumstances we can imagine. Time and again, God has provided for some of you in ways that I don't even know. But do when we, that happens, do we give glory to ourselves saying, whew, I worked hard and I earned that? Or do we give glory to God saying, it's all yours? Use it for to me to live as Christ. Because while we're still breathing, that means it's Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that all may see him in you and rejoice. That's, again, that's James. And no, that's Peter. So we've got this. So we add a little plus sign. We add this thing at the bottom. And when you add Jesus plus nothing that we offer, because we don't bring anything to the table except obedience, this is what we get. Everything your heart could truly desire. What do I mean by that? Well, let's break it down biblically. All the way back in Genesis, God created stuff, right? Yes? I got to finish up. You're getting tired. It's time for dim sum. Okay. When God created everything, he especially took time to tell us in the scriptures that man was created in his image. Correct? Okay. Now, we go ahead to the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have been invited to a life that is greater than anything we could live, anything we could understand, anything we could do on our own, that there is a bigger life. And you wonder what I mean by that. Will Smith told us last week that life is empty, that there's got to be more. He got it, and he's got everything. But there's more. Pascal called it the God-shaped 
hole in us that only he can fill. And when we allow God to so consume us with his desires and his will and his words, we realize there's so much more to life that we never saw. It becomes everything to live as Christ. In him, I live and have my being. In him, I can do all things because he strengthens me. In him, I know that this world has meaning, that these days when I go to work and wonder why I am fill in the blank with your occupation or your role currently. Because in Christ, you have an opportunity to be light to anyone that sees you right where you are. But the thing is, we don't always believe that for me to live is Christ. It's that simple. We don't believe it to be true. We say for me to live as Christ, as long as I add a nice car, a big flat, uh, 1.2 kids, this much in my retirement fund, kids that go to Oxford, this, that, and the other, right? Then to live as Christ, plus some. No. To live as Christ. To live as Christ is so powerful that it means when we look at our children, when we look at our parents, when we look at our siblings, we don't want their comfort. We want their obedience to the will of God, even if it's painful for us. In a few months, my wife and I will go home to see our parents who are getting old. Er. Hopefully they don't listen to this podcast. And in so doing, we understand that each time, every two years we see them, it may be the last time we see them alive. And that is difficult. Please don't mistake me. We love our parents. They are amazing men and women. You met my mom and dad and you've met Melissa's mom previously. But our prayer isn't for their comfort as much as it is that while they are still with us here on earth, God would use them mightily for his glory. And that, he can, that they can see Christ in our family. And that they can testify to how God has provided miraculously for us here in Hong Kong. You want to hear some of the stories? Ask us. We would love to tell you. But you see, the thing is, Christ is everything we need. He is all we need in this world and the next. And when we can say that honestly, we can say, God, you know what? I've got a couple of weeks of holiday coming up. I think I'm going to go help out Lavina. I've got a fair saver with Cathay coming up. I'm going to go help out. And some of you've done this. That's why I bring it up. I'm going to go take some stuff to Linda and Dan in, in Cambodia. God, I've got the resources and the comfort, but I, I, I think I need to go to Congo to help out Joyce and Henri and the family. God, I've got all I need on this side of the door, but right next to me is a family that doesn't know you. But I'm going to go talk to them. God, I'm going to live the life you've invited me to live because you're all I need. Paul was consistent in saying that. And, And see, the thing is, sometimes we think, well, Mike, Paul wrote this at the end of his life. Anybody can say that then, right? Yeah, when we're looking down at death's door, of course we could say for me to live as Christ and die as gain because I just want to make sure, God, you're happy with how I finish. And that's true. We should finish well. But 
you know, the scriptures teach us time and again, we don't know the day or the hour when Jesus is coming, nor do we know when we're going to take our last breath. You could cross the street and a taxi could not be paying attention. Come on, you know what happens. So every moment of every day is to be lived for Christ. Look at what Paul also wrote. We are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I can't wait for eternity where I'm not sick, where my family is well cared for in every and every situation. But while we are here, we make it our aim to please him. Listen to what else Paul said. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time the fact that I have a cold this morning, that's a little suffering. The fact that those uh, Islamic State militants are killing Christians in the name of Allah or whatever they're killing him in the name of, we know that nothing we suffer here in this present time is worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us when we see him as he is. So while we're here, we want to make the most of our time. Why is it so important to be able to set apart Christ as Lord? Because we are called to work hard with whatever we've been given to do. If you work in a school, be the best educator and be the best teammate or whatever the the title is for your core of people that you're with in that school. If you work in a home, be the best helper you can be to the other people in that home. If you are a house parent, be the best example of Christ to your family you can be. If you are a student, let people know that you are committed to excellence in your studies, not for yourself, but for the glory of God so that he can take you wherever he has to send you and that you're using your brains for his glory, not just your pocketbook. There's a few jobs. You get the idea. But listen to what Paul said. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He doesn't just say that means that I'm going to work hard. He knows that while he's still here because the Holy Spirit is working in him, it's going to be fruitful. He is so confident, so sold out, and so secure in who Jesus has made him to be that he knows his work is going to be fruitful. He doesn't define what that's going to look like. He just says, I know it's going to be fruitful. I have watched some of you serve in situations where, wow, your perseverance is staggering. But yet as you come out on the other side, you can see the fruits of that labor. Uh, I think of, I'm not going to name them by name, but you know who they are. The team that's worked hard to build the new Christian Alliance International School. And they are doing their best to bring glory to God through a building, not for the building's sake, but for the glory of God through the excellence in education. And their perseverance has been staggering as obstacle after obstacle comes. But may they be able to look at the end of the road and say this labor is fruitful because we are seeing disciples made of all nations. I think of our missionaries that go into the Middle East and may not ever see someone publicly profess the name of Jesus, but they press on, taking hold of that for which Jesus has taken hold of them. Why? Because Christ in them is the hope of glory. And the labor they know is fruitful because at the end of their days, they will look upon the face of Jesus and he will look at them and say, well done, my good and faithful servants. That's fruitful labor, right? That's what we long for. But that's not only the only thing Paul prayed and longed for. He also invested in others. And he was also committed to doing that right up until the last moments of his life. 
He said, I will remain and continue with you all. What? For your progress and your joy in the faith. I'm going to retire, and there's nothing wrong with retirement. Please don't misunderstand me. And I'm going to go be a hermit and never talk to another person again because I've worked hard. No. As long as I'm here on earth, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress. You can, you can add to that word discipleship. That's what he's talking about. He wants everyone he comes in contact with, specifically here the Philippian church, to grow in their faith, to become more like Jesus. Not only that, but back to for to me live with Christ and to die is gain and their joy in the faith. It's not a struggle, just like Paul wrote. It is not hard for me to write things about th- these things about you. It's not a struggle for me to say for me to live as Christ because it is a joy to follow Jesus. It really is. There is no better way to live. I've tried and sadly I still try to replace him in certain areas in my life. I, you know, get too caught up. I had a tremendous gift from my dad this week and I had to be very careful because the gift my dad gave me was a subscription to ESPN. Now, some of you know what ESPN is. It's the worldwide leader in sports television. And I like sports a lot. So much so that my nine-year-old daughter looked at me yesterday and said, Dad, are you going to get off the couch today? And I looked at her and said, probably not, because tennis is coming on later. But see, that's a simple thing. But I could elevate my love of sports, and they are way up here. Sports are awesome. I'm so glad God gave us amazing athletes to watch and to try to be like. I want to be like Mike. Some of you remember that. But I could make that my God. I could get so focused on my Cleveland Cavaliers or my New York Yankees or my favorite tennis players, that I miss the purpose God has for my life. To honor him when I'm on a tennis court with my non-Christian friends. To honor him when I'm here with you, praying over Lavina, excited to where God has her next. When I'm on a date with my amazingly awesome wife. The list goes on. For to me to live is Christ. While we still have breath, may he be all we need, and we take joy in the knowledge of that truth. But Mike, I'm scared. What if I don't know what to say? Well, Jesus told the apostle, the, the disciples that, you know, in those moments, I will give you the Holy Spirit and he will guide your words. Because Mike, I know there's an urgent call on my life to follow you, but I just... That first step is hard, right? It's that first knock. That's first, I want to tell you about Jesus and how he's changed my life. That took three seconds to say. And that's, I know I talk quickly. But my family and I just watched a great movie this week. It's called We Bought a Zoo. You ever heard of that movie? It's not a real popular movie, but it brought a lot of tears to my eye. And it's a very honest look at how a man dealt with the loss of his wife and tried to rebuild his family. And in so doing, they bought a zoo, literally. And they tried to rebuild it. And he's talking to his son and he's talking to his son about romance and teenage love. But it's a good thing for us to think about as well. And here's the quote. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. 
and I promise you something great will come of it. That's not so different from what the word of God tells us. He says that if you step out, I will give you all you need. You might not even need 20 seconds. You just need enough to take the first step. To say, God, here is my life. And I want to be used by you wherever you would have me. How do we apply that? It's simple. Matthew 25 gives us a great illustration as we finish up today. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When we look at the inconvenient, the difficult, and the challenging people in our lives, do we see Christ in them? And an opportunity to show the love of Christ to those that need it most. Practically, through visiting the sick, helping the needy, feeding the hungry, when we see people in our midst that need the hope of Jesus Christ, will we stop everything and help them? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it even simpler. When Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Sometimes physically, always to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is nothing, nothing greater than following Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray that as we go through this year of the ram, of the goat, of the sheep, got them all? That we would look to the great lamb of God who gave himself up for us that we might have life, and have it to the full. Nothing is better than knowing him. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in every ounce of our lives, that we would be a church that can truly say for us to live as Christ and to die as gain. Sometimes we long to be in eternity with you, but while we are here, Lord, make us a servant. Make us a blessing to others. And fill us with your Holy Spirit for the journey ahead. Amen. May I request everyone to please stand as we sing our closing song. Let's sing this again.